When life throws you a curveball, how are you going to handle adversity? Welcome to the Fearless Mindset Podcast, where you're about to go on a journey as I interview security, business, and entertainment leaders on what it takes to stay fearless. I'm your host, Mark Ludlow, and enjoy today's episode. Hey, Morgan. It's me, Mark. Happy to have you on the show, Fearless Mindset Podcast. And uh, hey, you got some exciting news that just came out. Um, that news is, uh, you just launched a book. Congrats. I did. I did. Thank you for having me on your show. I appreciate it. Uh, I did. I, I, I launched a book called, uh, welcome to Blackwater. And the premise behind it was, uh, when I first started working for Blackwater in 2004, they sent me this, this packet and it said, welcome <laughs> to Blackwater. And then inside that packet, it said, um, the ways you can die are, and it was like by rifle, by rocket, by uh, IED, by, and it was just this like seven sentences of, of all the different ways that you could die. And I thought, well, that, that's kind of an appropriate title. Welcome, welcome, now you might die, and here's how. What year did you go over there under the Blackwater umbrella? What year was that? Yeah, so I started over there in 2004. Um, they, reached out to me in June of 2004, and then I was boots on ground in Iraq by August. Wow, okay. 2004, um, whoa, I got out of the Marine Corps. I was only discharged in 2002 of August. And okay. a week later, 9-11 just dropped. <laughs> yeah, it's, there was a lot of... <laughs> There was a lot of Blackwater guys that um, had just recently got out. They were all special operations guys, uh, and and they were kind of frustrated that they they didn't get their war right. You sit there and you train for for four, five, six, seven years, and then all of a sudden uh, the wars kick off, and you're sitting there and you're a civilian, and you're thinking, well, hey, I, I kind of missed my I missed my window. I've been training for this. Um, so there was there was a lot of those that were coming in that had just gotten out or or had been out for, you know, a couple of years. And, and this was kind of their way of going back as, as an extension of their service. So you had that feeling of passion, patriotism. You didn't get, you get, didn't get anything really when you're in the army. So like you, this launched, I'm like, you know what? I'm going to go back over there and be a contractor and serve my country as a private citizen. Yeah, absolutely. So, uh, just me, I, I was in um, the ground offensive during 2003, March 2003, I was in the ground offensive of Iraq. Um, it, but, but the ground offensive was so fast, they flew us in there, we started an air base, I was in the Air Force Security Forces. And then by the time we set up the air base, two days later, the war was already so far north, uh, that there really was no like there, it, it didn't even feel like a war zone, it just felt like you were hanging out in the desert. Um, without being able to shower in your mop gear. Uh, so, so I think there was a lot of people kind of like me that, that say, well, you trained and this is what you thought was going to happen. And then it didn't. So they said, I'll go contract and Hey, the money's good. So, so why the heck not? The money was good being, I heard you guys were like clearing like a lot of money back then. I mean, you're getting little bonuses. And I mean, I heard Eric Prince was taking good care of you guys on the ground. He was so so. You know, Blackwater gets a lot of flack for being Blackwater, but if if Blackwater hadn't existed, DynCorp 
uh, Triple Canopy. They had a company called Custer's Battle. Uh, somebody would have been the company that, that took over those contracts. So, so Eric Prince, I think his, his heart was in the right spot. He, he saw it as a war effort and he wanted to help out with it. And it was a way for him to be able to expand his brand. Um, and he, he was, he was very effective. Uh, we had probably the best equipment of a lot of the private military contractors out there. Um, the training wasn't terribly difficult, uh, but it was at least some kind of training uh, that we had to be vetted through. So we, we definitely got the, the better part of, of being a PMC in 2004. And I, I attribute that directly to uh, Mr. Prince. I mean, he, he took care of his guys. We were making uh, $500 a day. And wow. then nice. after I know I was 23, you know, whew, I was, Dang. I know I was like, I was like, man, I can buy the, the best knife ever now. Um, and then at the end of, at the end of your contract, then you would, would be able to get a bonus. Um, and it was a 10% bonus. So averaging about five fifty a day. And then, uh, as they kept expanding, they would offer incentives to stay over for one month, three months, whatever it is. So, uh, by the end of it, I was making 660 bucks a day and, I know at, at 23, I was like, geez, I am, I like, I am, I am big. I'm big time. And then I got home and everybody's like, I don't know who you are. Who cares? I was like, but I'm, but I'm, but I'm big time. I'm big time. I'm a baller. Yeah. I'm a baller contractor. I work for Eric Prince. Yeah. Yeah. You know, what's funny about all that is from where I read his book. I loved his book that he wrote. And I was just fascinated that the business mind that Eric Prince has and what he did, because he actually provided a support service to the government because we weren't ready for that. Because I read in the book that the United States government was not ready to go in there and do any of that. They couldn't even handle this, the magnitude of that invasion. And yeah. they, were so they had been downsized so badly, I guess, that Eric, in order for it to be a functional operation, they had to use Eric to get in there to do it correctly. Yeah. So, so what happened was, is Iraq, so we had, uh, Paul Bremer was over there. Um, and then Blackwater got that initial contract and there's a great book out there by Frank Gallagher called the Bremer detail. Um, pick it up. I mean, buy mine too, buy welcome to Blackwater, but definitely pick up Frank's book. And, um, they did that. And then it switched from being a DOD mission to a Department of State mission because uh, the nation of Iraq was all of a sudden sovereign because they had their initial um, government set up. The State Department did not have the protective services. They, they have a very small protective services, but they had never done anything on the scale of what they needed to build a country. So that's really where, where Blackwater and DynCorp and Triple Canopy uh, were able to, to expand is that you had hundreds and thousands of diplomats over there and they didn't have the security within the State Department to, to be able to handle it. So being able to grab guys like me off the street with you know, a, a little bit of combat training and I was, I was one of the very few that actually had spent time in Iraq. Um, it, was, it was just one of those things where he had the connections, he had the funds, he already had uh, Blackwater associated with military contracts out in uh, Moyoc, North Carolina. So he, he, right person, right time. And I, I think for the most part, did, did the right job, um, even though he's caught just so much flack for it. 
it's unfortunate because he did it you know he served the country again not even only being a navy seal then he went into the private sector and said you know what i know i can pull this off and he he believed in his dream and vision of being a servant to the country without being a politician and crushing the terrorists that were over there instead of having, having to crush them over stateside and so he had the vision he had the dream and it became fruition and he had the opportunity he just walked through that door i mean the guy's a genius and how he did it all i mean well and he, showed, he showed it again when uh they almost eradicated the uh pirating of ships in somalia like he he led that effort and he just common sensed it uh which is something that is you probably know as well as i do the military doesn't do a terribly good job of it uh of not only of common sense but uh also just spending so much money to do things that are are fairly rudimentary just cost so much extra money so i mean he's an entrepreneur he's he's he served as, as far as i'm concerned he served his country um even even in that capacity of being able to create a security a private security company and he gave you guys i mean he gave the veterans getting out of the military another opportunity and a new book in their life in under the blackwater umbrella and gave you so much, you know, real life experiences doing true executive protection, true bodyguard work. Because most bodyguards and EP guys do not even pull out a gun in stateside, nor do you have access to ARs or automatic weapons overseas. You don't even see that stateside. You shouldn't even be pulling out a gun stateside unless you're fearful for your life. But um, it's just uh, it's such a pair, um, polar opposite between an EPA agent and a bodyguard stateside from what you see overseas in the, in the sandbox. It's two different distinctions, two different worlds. Oh yeah, 100%. Where, where I think it kind of went awry was um, the State Department did not want to, um, they didn't really want to have oversight. Uh, I, in, in, in it, maybe it's not that they didn't want to, maybe they didn't have the capacity to, but you couldn't get the State Department people to, to go outside the wire. Um, so, so what you had was kind of this perfect storm of, of people that were trying to get into, you know, a conflict zone that, that didn't get to do it while they were in the military and some that did. And then you had the state department that was very laxed. Um, there was really no oversight. We didn't even have tracking devices in our vehicles for the longest time, uh, until I think until like mid 2005. So, um, I, I think that's where the reputation came from of everybody running and gunning. And it wasn't, it wasn't everybody. I mean, there was, there was some of that, don't get me wrong, but for the most part, we were just there to do the job. And it's, it's like anything else, you know, you go to a combat, uh, you go to a combat zone, 95% of it, you're just bored out of your mind. 3% of it, you're like kind of excited. And then 2% you're like, holy crap, like there's, there's a big adrenaline rush. Um, so I, the book is really about the characters um, it, more than it is about Blackwater. Uh, no politics. I don't get into any of the st strategy of the war. Uh, that's, that's not mine to figure out. Uh, my, my entire intent is or was to, to write a book that showed that we were a band of brothers. We, we did look out for each other. I still keep in contact with a lot of those guys. Um, and, and we, we bear the same scars of war that soldiers do without that same, um, support system when you get home. So it, there's, there's a lot of, I mean, being a contractor was just the greatest time. Uh, but at the end of the day, I, 
I, I don't, I don't know if, if everybody would sit there and say it was, it was worth it. Right. Cause you think about what, what life experiences you missed on by being overseas and you have family and friends stay aside birthdays, people growing up, people living life. And, you know, you, you give up a lot of your life sacrificing protection of our country by being overseas. So I get that sacrifice and thank you for, for doing that for us while we're on state side and keeping us safe over here. It, that's huge. Well, I, I appreciate it, but they were, they were paying me handsomely. So I, I, I take that, I, I take that payment is enough. Yeah. I mean, if you do the math, $500 a day and then whatever, you know, the bonuses you get, you know, you're getting paid you know, non-taxable income because you're out of country. I'm sure you're looking at six figures plus. I heard some guys think you made millions of dollars over there. That's kind of crazy. Well, it's, it, it's interesting. So it's, as a contractor, it wasn't non-taxable. Uh, it was if you were there for 330 out of 365 days. Uh, you oh, had 80, I think it was like 80,000 was non-taxable. Maybe it was 78,000 um, because you were considered an expatriate. But uh, a lot of the guys uh, got into serious financial trouble because uh, we were 1099 employees and nobody really kind of knew what to do with that. So there's a lot of people that underfiled their taxes, didn't file their taxes at all, um, had, had problems with the IRS, are still kind of digging out of those problems with the IRS. So it's, it, on the one side, you know, big boy rules, 1099. Uh, on the other side, I, I think that if, as these contracts still, they still remain in place, right? There's still, there's still people over there. There's people uh, that are working for federal agencies stateside. Um, to be able to to help alleviate that, to be able to pull those taxes out for them, I didn't, and I don't know if that's what they're doing or not, but that that probably would have helped a heck of a lot of people. But at the end of the day, yeah, I was but two hundred thousand. You know, when you spend eleven months of, out of the year, you're going to make two hundred thousand bucks, and then, I mean, it just became addictive. You just wanted to keep going back, and your family would say, "Don't go back, don't go back," and you'd be like, "No, I need the money," because the second you get home. It's not like the army or, or the Marines. The second you get home, that paycheck is done. And so a lot of guys don't understand budgeting. They're not taught financial budgeting, pay off your debts. You know, most, most military guys aren't taught that. Most military guys don't have a multimillionaire mentoring them on financials and right. how to be around your own company. They, they don't know. They just don't know what they don't know. And they start spending on a nice car. Oh, that house looks pretty. A million bucks on that. And the next thing you know, they quit doing it. No more cash flow coming in. They're stuck. Yeah, those taxes don't stop. Um, I mean, I was I was one of those idiots, right? I did. I bought a Land Rover. I thought I was Beautiful. hot crap, you know. And then and then you know, I lost it in a divorce. So I'm sorry to hear it, that. Well, you know, I, you got to get the first one out of the way so you can find the one you like. Is what I, uh, what I think. Yeah. So trial um, and error. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you get two shots at it. And then if that doesn't work, then it's you. All right. That's, right. that's the rule. So where are you at now, Morgan? You, you left Blackwater and uh, you live in an Arizona now. Are you, what's your, what's your taste on the private sector or state side? What's your impression on being a security bodyguard, EP agent, state side? What is your impression of all that being your experience with Blackwater and army or the air forces and security forces? Um, I mean, I feel like it's, it's a, it's, it's a great 
job, if you're retired, if you have some kind of income coming in, you can kind of pick and choose what you want to do. Uh, it's hard to make a living at it. it and, and I, I don't really know if that's the truth, let's be honest. But at the end of the day, people only need protection in certain places at certain times. Um, so it, it, unless you own a company and you have people working for you, I think it's, it's probably pretty difficult to, to be able to do. Uh, if I had, as far as overseas contracting goes, um, I, don't think, I don't think I would recommend it to anybody. Uh, and and it, it's not because it's, it's a bad profession. It's not because there's there's negative connotations it's because i i i feel like you're you're a a starbucks coffee cup you're a single serving coffee cup and it's whether it's for the state department dod cia dia it doesn't matter uh, at the end of the day they're going to drink most of the coffee and then they have the ability to throw you away or bring you back in right um so it, that's what that's what I think you saw with a lot of the the private security companies. Why there's such a bad reputation with them is because they were an easy scapegoat for the State Department to be able to come in and say that wasn't us. Oh, that was ooh these terrible people. Yeah, but it was under a State Department contract. Um, I use the term mercenary in the book, so it's black, welcome to Blackwater, um, mercenaries, madness, and mayhem in Iraq. Uh, but at the end of the day, like we we weren't mercenaries. We worked for, we were U S citizens working under a U.S. government organization. Um, but those U S organizations definitely found it easy to hire and fire us at will, um, as well as just, you know, toss the blame on, on, on us at any given point. What was the most positive experience you had working under the Blackwater umbrella? I mean, what do you, what were your takeaways they can apply in the apply in the private sector if it's not security industry, it's something else. What what were those bonuses you received? Oh, geez. So I I've never claimed to be a badass. Um, I still don't. Uh, but when you're working with guys of that caliber, uh, they are ultra competitive, and it, it playing cards, um, going to the pool and playing water polo. I mean. It could be it could be who can find the the longer stick in the shorter amount of time. Like they are just competitive to the core. Um, so when I got done with Blackwater, I went to college, and I had a 4.0 coming out of college because I looked at it like it was a competition. Like when uh, I saw somebody that had a better grade on a test than me, I was like, oh, I'm competing. I, like it's against that girl. It's against that person. Um, so so that helped me. Uh, ultimately, I joined the ROTC. And my grade point average allowed me to be able to pick whatever job I wanted as an army officer. So I became an Intel officer. I met my wife at Intel school uh, and then was able to parlay that into a really good graduate school. Uh, and then even after graduate school, get into some very competitive programs within corporate America because I just wanted to win. And, mm -hmm. and now that I got a couple kids, you know, I want to win a little less. <laughs> There's always that part of me that's like, I want to win. I want to get up there. I want to do that. Um, and and that, that's something that, that I, some people are born with it, it but I had to be taught. And, and those guys, they just taught me whether they knew it or not. So correct me if I'm wrong, but when you left Blackwater, um, you, you, you were an army officer. And then when you got out of the army, you went to Blackwater and then you got out and you went, Officer school? I was so, trying to track that development there. 
I know it's it, like, I'm a pain in the ass. Let's be honest. <laughs> okay. Um, no problem. So I started in the air force as an enlisted guy right out of high school, um, okay. the air national guard actually. And okay. then went to work for Blackwater because I made some friends with them, um, uh, force recon Marines and they went Wait. to work for Blackwater and they said, Hey, call Morgan. And I was like, Hey, call me. <laughs> um, but that's how it was. It was a buddy system, right? So absolutely for you, your network. Exactly. And then I went to work for Blackwater. Once I got done with them, um, that's when I finished up my, my degree and I joined the army. Um, oh, no kidding. Was, yeah, it was 2006, 2007, you know, the economy was crap. And I was like, well, what do you, what do you do after this with a criminal justice degree? Uh, so I joined their ROTC and, and went into the army, uh, active duty as a, as an army Intel officer. And then they sent me right back to Baghdad, literally at one of the cops that we used to run back and forth to when I was at Blackwater, but for like a third of the pay. Oh, <laughs> lack of financial motivation. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. But professionally, it, it, it definitely allowed me to, to get into some of the better schools that I wanted to get into when I got out. Um, so I, I, I didn't love the army by any stretch of the imagination and the army probably didn't love me. Uh, but between the good grades and having, um, that, that leadership experience and that downrange experience as an army officer, uh, it, it kind of paved the way for me to be able to, to go to graduate school, get a decent paying job, and then kind of just leave it all behind. So what was your, uh, your graduate, uh, degree in? So, uh, I was initially doing security studies and then somebody said, well, what do you want to do when you get out? And I said, Oh, I want to go work for corporate America. And they said, the hell are you getting a security studies degree for? Like, that's, that's ridiculous. You're going to go to DC. So I ended up switching to international banking and finance. No um, kidding. Yeah. I just, I just had to do it and it sucked. It was terrible. <laughs> Accounting, um, Excel spreadsheets. Yeah. <laughs> accounting, finance, statistics. <laughs> I just finally, but it was the same thing. I just buckled down and I looked at it like I was competing and, and was able to, you know, by the skin of my teeth, graduate probably. I don't know. You got the degree. They passed you. Professor passed you. It's a pass fell, right? In graduate school. For the most part. Yeah. It's like you, you're, you're the dumbest person in here, Morgan, but uh, we're going to let you go because we already let you in. <laughs> <laughs> wow. What a transition. Holy. So you've had, one, two, three different, almost three different careers all in one lifespan. And now you're in corporate America, you went Army or Air Force, uh, Security Forces, Blackwater, and then out of Blackwater, Army as an officer, boom, now corporate America. I think maybe all that stuff gave you some great leadership skills from the military. And they thought you were pretty smart and with that master's degree and we'll give you a job. Yeah, no, that, that helped, that helped quite a bit. And, uh, my first, my first leadership role was actually in Blackwater. Um, I was up in Kirkuk and I was one of the, I don't know if you want to call them old guard or something, but I had been there for over a year and most people were just kind of coming into it. So they said, Morgan, you'll be the team leader and this is your team. And I'm looking at, it, it's like Navy SEALs, recon Marines, uh, army Rangers, special operations guys. And I'd never been so nervous in my life. I had done like a thousand briefings on how we were going to get to the ministry of who gives a damn. Uh, but that first time where you're like in charge of the convoy, you got to get up there and you got to stand up and, and talk to these people. And I thought, Jesus, I'm just, 
like I'm a faker, like I'm a faker in, in this thing. It doesn't matter. Like, I don't know. It, it, it's just a very odd, odd feeling that the Air Force Security Forces guy kind of made it up to that point. Okay. Now, now you're in your corporate position. Um, what is the big prize for you now? What, what gives you that self, the feeling of self-fulfillment, like you're doing, you have a purpose again? Because I know many veterans that get out of the military, they lose that purpose. They lose that vision of who they are. They lose that identity. And now what helped you gain that identity back after you left the military? Uh, I mean, that's a, that's a good question. So I, I tell people, um, when you join the military, you literally are taught, like, I'm an American fighting in the forces which guard my country and our way of life. I'm willing to give my life in their defense, right? And that's purpose. That is like, holy crap, that's your purpose. And then you get out and it's like, well, what's, what's your new purpose? Um, so I, I do, I volunteer. Um, well, I'm, I'm the chairman of the board of a nonprofit out here in Arizona uh, that helps adults with developmental disabilities. And then um, I wrote a book. That was the other thing. It was like, let's get all this stuff down on paper. Uh, a lot of these stories are, are going to be lost to history. So I, I'd like to be one of those people that can, can at least document what we did. And don't get me wrong, it's not a serious book. I mean, you're just going to laugh your ass off. Um, it's, it's just the craziest. It's, somebody did a review and said it's like the Wolf of Wall Street in combat. Whoa, that's um, cool. Yeah, so... So I did the book thing and then um, not to, you know, not to get too crazy, but I grew up in a pretty poor family. My dad decided that he loved alcohol and drugs more than he loved, you know, hanging out with the kids. So sure. now I have two kids and um, watching them grow up is, is, I mean, it's awesome. Like I almost feel bad for my father that, that he didn't get that. Sure. Uh, and they're a pain. Oh, they're a huge pain in the ass. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> but, but just watch it. Like, like when they figure out something and you're like, God, like that's, that's, that's where the purpose comes from now. So it's not trying to jump up the corporate ladder as much as it is work-life balance. Yeah. Family man. Cause you, you didn't get that from your father. Cause what I see right now with the millennials, I see a bunch of lost souls. They don't have purpose. They're trying to figure themselves out. And, you know, we have a situation of, you know, kids having kids and, um, uh, a buddy of mine is a former uh, NFL football player, and he has a business. And uh, his his whole mission in his business is uh, mentoring the fatherless children. And because there's so many people that don't really have fathers or role models in their lives, they're just running around lost in our country, and they're just like confused on what do I do? And you know they're they're spinning in their you know in that in that gerbil wheel in the cage, just trying to figure out what they're doing. And they, they don't have that mentorship or coaching, and that's. It's so important that you you see that, and then you broke that um, that chain of events from your dad to you. That's that's a huge uh, that's a huge win, victory for your life. No, I'm I am I'm exceptionally fortunate. I have a an amazing wife uh, that keeps me in line. Uh, I tell my kids, my my son will start crying. He's four, um, and I tell my kids, you know what's hard, and they'll go what? I'll say the war. And my wife just starts laughing. Um, so I just try to try to kind of keep you grounded and, and it's, I mean, it's, it's fun. It's, it's work, but it's definitely, it's definitely fun. And I was lucky. My grandfather was a world war II veteran, oh, wow. um, and made himself um, as successful as, as he probably ever could have he, with a, with a seventh grade education. And he, 
they took me in when I was in high school. Uh, and he essentially was like, you, my GPA was like 1.8 or something. When I moved in there, it was just trash. It was like D's. And he's like, if you're moving in here, you're going to get your grades up and you're not screwing around and you're going to come home every day and you're going to work on these tractors and, and these engines that I'm rebuilding. And you're going to, you're going to learn a trade. You're going to be, so, I mean, he taught me everything from plumbing, electrician, um, how to, how to rebuild engines. And I hated all of it, but it gave me, it gave me some grounding to say, okay, if I don't want to be a mechanic, how do I, how do I do that? Well, that, that goes through joining the military, getting your education, uh, being able to kind of like push yourself a little further than other people do. Yeah. What a phenomenal story. So your dad wasn't in the picture because of his issue with drug and alcoholism and all that stuff. And the grandfather stepped in being a world war II vet and said, Hey, here, grandson, I'll take you under my wing. That's, that's, that's a great story of just finding a way to make it, just finding a way. And for the viewers out there, the audience, this is Morgan. He authored a book called Welcome to Blackwater. And uh, this is uh, Mark Ludlow with the Fearless Mindset Podcast. I'm also the owner of the Ludlow Security Group. And uh, Morgan and I are just talking about his book and his experiences with Blackwater and working under Eric Prince's umbrella and just, uh, just, the values of the journey and, you know, incorporating that as a life and uh, happy to have you on Morgan and sharing with the audience what we're, um, what we've been through. And uh, it's pretty awesome. Um, trying to think of, you know, some other things to talk about, like, for example, um, where do you see the future of contracting overseas? Do you see it continuing to grow? No, I mean, the, the heyday of contracting is definitely over. Um, they, the, the contracts are drying up. The ones that are out there don't pay nearly as well. Um, it, it's, it, it's, it's going away. So what you're, you're kind of experiencing now is there's a lot of contractors that have been doing it for 10, 15 years, trying to figure out, Oh crap, what's next, right? What's my new purpose? Um, so that, that's kind of dying off. Uh, the stateside stuff is picking up based on what I can tell. So, when you look at all the federal agencies and the federal law enforcement troops um, that are being deployed across the nation, um, those guys weren't just sitting around like, you know, playing Yahtzee. Uh, so, so what happens is they'll send ICE agents up to Portland or, or Seattle, and then they have to backfill with somebody. And that's where private security is kind of backfilling right now uh, within, within the, the U S border. Uh, specifically, I know uh, I was listening to NPR and they, they said that they have private contractors that are escorting migrant kids down by the border. Um, and, and that's because you have all those ICE agents or, or somewhere else doing law enforcement um, around the federal buildings. So it's, it's, it's interesting to, to see it transitioning. Um, I don't think it's, it's, it's probably never going to be as big as it was until, you know, somebody says, Oh, my grandpa was in Iraq. And I'm like, Oh, yeah, more this, more that. So, but it's not, it's not going away either. Um, there's, it's cheaper. It's more efficient. Uh, there's, there's people out there that are, that are willing to do it. I mean, it's, it's a, it's a supply and demand thing and it's, it's going to stay. Yeah. Interesting. I had James Hamilton on with Gavity Becker. And uh, he made mention that what depends on what happens with the elections, with the popularity of defunding and police departments, um, we're definitely going to probably see a need for increased security operations privately on the ground in very multiple uh, cities throughout the country. 
What are your thoughts on all that? Do you see a potential for the, for companies to spring up to support that role? Uh, I mean, that's going to be hard. That's going to be hard to do. Um, just, just based on, uh, you know, the, the U S so, so a lot of, a lot of foreign countries have militaries that are inward facing, right? So you look at most of your middle Eastern countries, um, are there to protect the citizens against the government. Egypt is, is definitely like the one that everybody thinks of where the military goes in and overthrows somebody every once in a while. And then they put in a new government, uh, with our military, it's really outward facing. Um, and that's because we have a, a police force that, that is inward facing. So I, I can see the National Guard stepping into that as necessary. Um, but as far as private security, I, I personally probably wouldn't uh, volunteer for that job. Because if the you State Department... Risk. Yeah, I mean, because they're not going to say, oh, you know, the Seattle police contracted whatever. They're going to say... Pitney Bowes contracted, like the guy in Colorado, Pitney Bowes contracted this guy. It's all his fault. It's not Pitney Bowes' fault. And it, I think you, you set yourself up for way too much risk for, you know, 30, 40, 50 bucks an hour. It just, it, I, I hope it doesn't take off because I think people will be drawn to it. Yeah. Now, who's Pitney Bowles? The guy in Denver or something? Uh, so the guy in Denver that shot the um, the the pro Trump marcher, I think it was earlier this week or last week. Uh, he was a subcontractor with Pitney Bowes, and okay. he was he was protecting a TV crew, is is what it uh. was. And then it, and then it turns out he wasn't licensed, and and you can you could chalk it up to all the things and and put the blame on the guy. But at the end of the day, somebody paid him to do that. And the culpability shouldn't just be on that individual. Um, it should kind of flow up. So doesn't the liability fall on the company that had the contract, whoever they subbed it to would uh, have the liability, whatever company on the ground is that was there supporting that TV uh, broadcaster? Is that how that so works? It, so it could. Um, the thing is, is usually what they do is they, so, so Blackwater did this with us, right? We were 1099 employees. I had my own company. Um, so my company would have been liable at any given time. And then if somebody wanted to press it, then they could go to Blackwater. And if they wanted to press it further, they could go to the State Department. Uh, but, but it's two, three, four degrees of separation. Um, so, so that's what you're hearing now is Pitney Bowes subcontracted. And I don't know if that means that he had his own LLC or if they subcontracted with another company. And then they brought him in. Um, I'm, I'm not sure about the details, but it's, it's that separation is the reason why I think it's a very, very risky proposition to be doing um, some of that stuff, especially if it's on. Too, too much risk. And then personally, they can come after you both civilly and criminally. Right. And uh, you don't want that unless you have, you're carrying a $2 million policy on yourself to protect yourself from legal, going to court, attorney fees and all that. It's just... Like you said, it's just not worth the risk. And then I'm, I'm not sure. I heard, I heard on the news outlets it was a uh, um, the guy, like you said, subbed it out from another another major company. And uh, I'm not going to name names. I don't want to uh, start poking fingers at somebody as of yet because the police department's got to do their investigations and forensics and all that to find out what really happened. But it sounds to me like uh, it was just like a training. And also here too, I read that. Uh, the 
the laws in Colorado are different where you get licensed by your city. It's not a statewide licensing, but a city like mandated license to operate in that city, do providing security services. So that's what I hear. Um, well, and, and so imagine you're a GI, you just got out, you're trying to figure out where you're going to, you know, find your purpose and you get picked up by something like that. And the company is less than reputable. Like mm -hmm. you would have to research all of that stuff. Are you really going to be able like to, to research and figure out the licensing and the state versus the city regulations versus, I mean, it, it, it's, it's, it's just an untenable task. Uh, for for security people to to be able to accomplish, in my my humble opinion. Yeah, especially if you just get out of the military, you don't have business background. You don't have no one's teaching you how to get licensed or what to look for or how to vet yourself. You don't know any of that. You figure right. that out five to ten years in the game. You're like, oh, you gotta have you have to have liability, workman comp, and this tax and that tax, and then oh, then you can call yourself a business owner. And most right. veterans getting out, they they just want to work and be a bodyguard. That's all they're thinking about. And exactly. so I think, I think you're right though. You, you know, veterans need to be very careful and make sure, you know, scrub, go on different state uh, licensing board websites and make sure these companies are legitimate, make sure they hold a license and insurance. Otherwise, you know, you could get in yourself a lot of trouble and just, just, you have to ask yourself, is it worth the risk? Yeah, exactly. And kind of on that, I mean, it's, there's, there's always hope out there for veterans. Uh, I know the veteran suicide's big. Actually, within the private military um, contracting field, there's, there's been a lot of suicides um, just recently uh, within the last year. And there's one, there's always hope. Please, God, I mean, just track somebody down. Track me down. I don't care. I'll, I'll help you out. Um, I'm into that. And then the other part is, is you, you have to take advantage of those benefits. You know, everybody's like, gut it out. All oh, your knees hurt, you know, keep running, get to the VA, figure out what the VA can do for you. Reach out to those organizations that work with the VA, like um, disabled American veterans. Um, just, just Google just for the love of God. If you feel like you're, you're at the end of your rope, just go on Google and, and just start typing stuff. And sooner or later, you'll, you'll find somebody that is willing to reach out to you uh, to help. And, and veterans, veterans are almost always willing to help a veteran. There's a couple of dickheads out there. But uh, <laughs> for the most part, like people will, people will help you through that journey. And they that's will. what I've, I've helped people through figuring out the GI Bill. I've helped people through like the VA stuff. Um, just somebody, somebody's gone through it. Don't try to figure it out on your own. Just reach out. And I'm connected with my, uh, podcast. I'm connected to a lot of guys, veterans that, uh, actually have a business to uh, help fund and uh, launch veteran owned businesses. And also I have, I took out a VA loan, no money down to buy a house. And, uh, I didn't have to really pay anything out of my pocket the VA paid for it because of our service to the military and so you had those options and like you said once you've been in the military there's so many op opportunities corporately and you, you say you served boom you have a master's degree all of a sudden because you have a bachelor's degree and a, a veteran's preference and boom the door is open I mean my first corporate job was a, being a banker and my degree is criminology and psychology I'm like I hate numbers. I hate accounting. Okay. All right. If you can be a business developer for a bank, sure, I'll take it. 
And uh, it's, it's just weird how life opens up our opportunities, especially in the military. And people have that great respect to our, to our veterans. So like you said, there's a lot of hope out there. And that's the reason why I launched the Fearless Mindset podcast is to give our veterans hope, give them purpose and just share stories like yours, Morgan. And you can write a book about your experiences and, and be that hope giver to, to those lost souls that are out there that are contemplating suicide because they can't make $100,000, $200,000 a year. So what? Make 100000 make less. Be happy. Be with your family. There's so much more to life than money. It's about quality. Yeah. Life. Well, and, and, and you'll, you'll have to figure out your own purpose, um, whether that's volunteering, whether that's, you know, your kids, whether that's writing a book, um, you, you can figure out your purpose. That doesn't mean you're not going to miss the military. I was talking to a guy that I served with yesterday and he said, God, I miss the army. And I was like, yeah, that's because you don't remember like range day where you could have literally like walked out there, shot three times and left. Um, mm -hmm. but instead you had to plan for it for 45 days and then you had to go out there and stay for 17 hours because PFC dipshit can't figure out how to shoot targets. Um, and he's like, yeah, I, I don't miss that. He's like, but I do miss just being able to look over at somebody and go, this is bullshit. And he's like, you can't do that in corporate America. And you can't, I mean, that's why, that's why you need to figure out kind of what, what you want to do. And then be able to say, be able to, to write outside of like the military style. So when I was writing my book, uh, I had an editor that was like, people aren't going to understand this. They're not going to get this part. They're not going to get that. Um, you have to write to the civilian standard. And a lot of times, I hate to say it, it's really like starting an email with, I hope your day is going great. Do you really give a crap about their day? You don't. And it's not a big deal. But that's how everybody does it in the civilian world. So just adapt. Right, right. I just got a text message. I was like, oh, shoot. I'm actually on the job in Portland working for a, uh, a corporate organization as a consultant. That's all I can say. And so I just got a text. <laughs> That's something I got to do regarding COVID. I'm like, oh, crap. I forgot to miss the text. So <laughs> I will uh, respond to that actually right now. Yeah, I'm doing uh, working my job here and uh, doing podcasts. Go figure the beauty of being an American. Well, you know, that's, I mean, you got a side hustle, right? You're a veteran, you got your job, and then you got a side hustle. All these things kind of come together to, to, to help you with that purpose uh, that you, you probably missed a little bit when you got out of the Marines. So, I mean, you're, you're a great example yourself. So don't, don't sit here and, you know, put me on a pedestal. Um, I'm, just, I'm just a dude that wrote a book, a really good book, and you should buy it right now on Amazon. Uh, you go. But <laughs> Welcome to Blackwater. By Morgan himself, the, uh, you know, hum he's, you're humble, appreciate your humility, but you're also a warrior for serving our country. And uh, yeah, I'm glad to have you on, just sharing that experience and giving them some veterans hope and some insight on just life itself. And uh, the possibilities are endless. They really are. And, and, and every time I'm kind of getting down on myself, I think, you know, those guys came back from, from World War II and you know what they did? Whatever. They were, they were, uh, you know, AC repairmen and they, they worked at Pepsi, you know, like, like I, I have a very charmed life and I don't deserve anything for having served. Uh, take advantage of your benefits, but also just realize that, I mean, you're, you're doing, you're doing what you would have done if you hadn't have been in the military. Exactly. I don't know if that's uplifting, but you know, Hey, whatever. Hey, whatever. That's, that's something. <laughs> All right. I, I've been told I got to go to report to a certain place to take a COVID-19 test. So 
I got right. go do that. I just saw the text like, oh crap. <laughs> you know what? That reminds that swab reminds me of the boar punch in the military when you know they would <laughs> after after the navy goes to port, they go in there and they say, All right, everybody, if your if your dick is dripping, here comes your boar punch and they slam <laughs> that uh, Q tip down your pee hole to check if you uh, have an S T D. So Nice graphic. I love yeah, it. Yeah, there you go. The old boar punch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this podcast will never be the same. Thanks, Morgan. <laughs> <laughs>